Welcome to The Tippy Top, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs succeed by sharing best practice and creating alignment with investors. You'll hear from seasoned entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and industry professionals. The Tippy Top helps you learn vicariously because you simply don't have the time to learn every lesson through the School of Hard Knocks. right listeners you're in for a treat today with jim nicholas an entrepreneur that walks the talk now most people only talk about passion but jim is so passionate and inspiring that he's got this visceral gravitational pull in every room he enters welcome jim (laughs) welcome alex thank you (laughs) i don't know what to do with that but thank you very much Now, Jim and I met as recently as October this year, 2021, at a members club dinner in Bank London. I immediately knew I was in the right room because everyone was friendly, yet humble like Jim. And I'm talking about proper entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that have just raised 60 million pounds and they're sitting next to me and and they've got near pre-revenue businesses. So really uh, top class people. And I was immediately drawn to Jim because of his infectious energy, and I took the opportunity to sit down next to him and enjoy my dinner. Now, as you'll come to know that Jim's passion and wisdom has no bounds, so I thought it would be very selfish to keep that to myself and not invite Jim on the show, and so here we are. Welcome, Jim. Thank you very much, Alex. That's that's very charming and lovely of you. Uh, Likewise, from my point of view, I I, I was drawn to you. it was a it was an amazing session really um and i think that i just found yeah it, it's lovely to be amongst such amazing people and, and and we had a great crack today uh, during, during that day that was wonderful absolutely absolutely, absolutely. i'm glad glad you echoed that and now in terms of your bio uh your your range of experience is just staggering and i've got zero chance of doing it any justice so for this part i'm going to hand over to you to Talk us through your, your background and please don't be humble. Okay. <laughs> right. So, um, so I, I've, I've been, um, I've been a, a professional uh, since uh, the, uh, the mid 1980s. Um, actually, I've been in the semiconductor business uh, for most of my career. I went into semiconductors because uh, during the late, 1970s, when I was a teenager, um, I didn't see any uh, person who was black uh, in technology. I'm not saying they weren't there, I just didn't see them. And I had the fortune of being good at a variety of things. And so I decided to focus on something where it, it was a path less trodden. That was, that was really the thinking. And I've been in this domain for, for decades and I've, I've had just a, a wonderful time, uh, just amazing time. Fantastic people, great innovations. So as part of the semiconductor stuff, uh, I think the top line thing I'd like to say really is that um, I, my, my career has been about having thoughts and then being realized by virtue of application. I'm a complete and utter believer in in, in, you know, focusing on something and, and then it manifesting. Uh, it's happened to me every time. So just 
there's many things we can look at. You can go on my LinkedIn, but the bottom line is, is that um, I started off at one stage seeing a technology that, uh, uh, that I was fascinated by. It was the transputer. It, it, it was uh, uh, during the 1980s and 1990s, there was this British uh, invention of a parallel processing microprocessor. Amazing stuff. The guys were headquartered in Bristol. I'd seen their technology. And then during the late 1980s, I, I decided I wanted to join them. My idea was in some way to help them to be commercially successful. Um, that company became integrated into a big semiconductor company, but the consequence of, of that was um, the role I was in, I actually helped them to sort of become massively commercially successful by creating an IP version of that technology, which then was deployed in all the digital uh, TV re related products and, and uh, DVD players that the company produced at the time. They were the world leading, but in that, all that technology, that there was this humble embedded component, which goes back to the fact that in the late 1980s, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could make that successful? And it was. And I think that most people don't even realize this, but it was enough that I did. Then round about the same time, I went to Sicily. Um, I had this great opportunity to help build a team in Sicily. Uh, and at the time, the thinking was, for me, why don't we build a, a world-class team? And, uh, uh, and, and, and in the end, um, at, at a certain stage in the, in the industry's history for semiconductors and system on chips, you know, the company I was in was the best company in the world. Uh, it was acknowledged at, at that even by uh, major institutions. And that team was probably the best team in the company. And, and, and uh, nobody believed we could do it, but we could. By the way, that team in Sicily, together with great players in, in France, uh, in uh, other parts of the UK, in Singapore, in India, uh, they were the US. I mean, in the end, it became a, a, such a powerful capability. And even to, the, to this day, that, that team in Sicily is a, behind a lot of fantastic IoT-related technologies that's being created. And I was a part of that. I was working with some great pe people. We built that. Then fast forward to, um, besides being a part of, uh, you know, digital TV, digital camera, mobile phone, or being part of all those innovative waves, I then had an opportunity to become uh, the, the uh, general manager of a microcontroller business. And just to put it simply, the, uh, the if you like, the atom, uh, the underlying uh, 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 bit that goes into IoT is usually the microcontroller. And we built a business uh, uh, that is today of the order of $2 billion worth of revenue per year. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so I played a significant part together with my team in creating a new set of products uh, that uh, one of which is today acknowledged to be the most ubiquitous and uh, the best known microcontroller in the world. So it's the SDM32, for those of you who don't know. You just go and look it up. It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. By the way, there have been a succession of amazing people who've picked it up and taken it forward. But I'm so 
proud and pleased to have been, you know, the genesis, you know, me and my team to actually build that. And there are amazing people in Sicily, in Rousset, in France, and all over the place that have been a part of that. There have been many other things that have happened since. I, I was in, in imagination working on a, 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 a microprocessor IP in ARM, involved in the same thing. Um, today, uh, I'm going to cut the long story short. Today, I'm the, the chairman of a company that produces uh, the world's leading open source uh, uh, tools to help people developing hardware platforms for artificial intelligence and high performance compute to get those to market. And uh, I'm the CEO of a startup uh, called Unify Limited, which is the world's uh, providing the world's most disruptive um, uh, touch sensing technology. It's actually awesome. Uh, and we're, we're in the middle of uh, doing a 10 million pound fundraise. So that gets us bang up to date. Um, there'll be lots of other things we'll talk about, Alex, but, but I, I think we can just leave it there for the time being. Absolutely. Amazing. I, I, I knew some of that, not all of it. And um, there's not many people on the show that can talk back to the experience of the 1980s and how they were. There's <laughs> 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 not many who want to. <laughs> we we take technology for granted now, but there was actually a person behind it and it was Jim. And uh, <laughs> one, 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 one of many, but it was just wonderful, Alex, honestly, to be part of all those successive waves and to still be in there in the game. It is just wonderful. It really. Is. Absolutely. I'm sure. Uh, and and the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, back then, you know, you've created this help create this this two billion turnover company. Um, and that was before unicorns were a thing. So you're really a, a market yeah. leader. Yeah, so 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 in in the end, it's 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 a it's a business that that is part of a of, of a larger company, and at the time uh, there was this vision. There was a gentleman called Pasquale Pistorio and uh, uh, Camelo Papa. There were these two gentlemen who really uh, believed in the idea that the company needed to pivot into uh, another way of uh, of bringing value beyond being associated with uh, um, mobile phones, because they were very significantly engaged with a company called Nokia at the time. Um, but there was a sense that there would be some form of disruption. And, uh, and what we created, uh, what I was a part of, was part of that disruption. And, and, and we didn't even, at that time, call it IoT, not really. Uh, but now it's everywhere. <laughs> No, fabulous. Great. Now, I think everyone knows they're in the right room with me now. Uh, so that's good. And we're going to, Jim's held back a lot on his passion, and we're going to see a lot more of that come through. Now, what we've done is we've whittled down the question bank into three main topics. And that's quite difficult with a person like Jim, because he can literally talk about absolutely anything. But we'll, we'll try to extract all those pearls of wisdom from Jim's brain. Topic number one, we're going to look at passion makes the world go round. Now, Jim, don't hold back on that one. Number two, a really interesting one, especially for, for really early stage businesses that are disrupting, pushing the frontiers, how an ecosystem can actually reduce your cost of customer acquisition or CAC for those of you who are familiar with the term. And then topic number three is that success all comes down to focusing on your customers. So back to part one, passion makes the world go round. 
Now, Jim, <coughs> as one of the most passionate people that I know, tell us why it's so important and particularly within entrepreneurship. Okay, so so first of all, um, I, I apologize to uh, your uh, your audience if if um, I won't come across necessarily the way we have been uh, 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 when we've met physically. For me, it's this is a a strange medium uh, in which to uh, communicate, but we'll, we'll we'll have at it. So so first of all, passion for me is is uh, the, the 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 fuel. Uh, the, the, the fuel for, for innovation, for business, for everything. Uh, um, it's, uh, it's what propels you. It's what uh, uh, is part of how you engage other people. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's really at the heart of what binds people together. Uh, um, and it's not something that can easily be faked. I mean, people can, can, can have a go, but, but, but people know when there's something deep within. And then I guess the challenge for a lot of people is their ability to express. I have the advantage of, um, of having uh, an upbringing, which means that um, in relative terms, I'm uninhibited. Uh, um, one close friend of mine said to me a few years ago, he said, the reason, Jim, we loved coming to your home was that your parents allowed you to get away with saying and doing anything. And I actually think that uh, if I fast forward today and my children will say things like, uh, I've got no filter, um, that can have consequences. <laughs> the positive part about it is, is, that, is that I think it's important to invest in what you do. And I think to bring people along with you, right, it's a, a fundamental ingredient. You've got to have that, that you know, and it's, and, and it's not a complicated thing. It comes from your interests, you know, your convictions, your beliefs. It's it's part of what propels that through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. And in your capacity as chair and CEO, why is it so important within a leadership um, setting to be passionate about what you do? Because it's it's it really is what onboards people. It really is how you connect with people. It's it's uh, but it's not it doesn't come alone you see uh, um, that passion has to have it has to be the companion of uh, a conviction a belief a vision you know those things have to come together uh, um, uh, because if it sits by itself uh, it could be considered to be uh, <laughs> hysteria <laughs> or, or, or <laughs> but, but 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 coupled with uh, a, 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 a vision, a belief, you know, a conviction, uh, it's just uh, extraordinary. I mean, you know, uh, even as I'm thinking about it, I'm starting to tingle, uh, but I'm tingling because I'm anchoring it to something that I, I know I really want to do. And people feel that. When, when you and I met, what actually happened was a, 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 a combination of, of things. First of all, um, it was one of the first times I'd been let out, <laughs> given the world that we're in today. Uh, actually, one of the, the guys that we were talk, talking with was a gentleman who I'd only ever met via Zoom. I'd never actually physically met. And then uh, 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 you've got this uh, characteristic about you where you can draw things out of people. So that sort of magical uh, thing just pulled everything together. But it was also because you understood that to, uh, to see me 
you needed to get me to speak about what I cared about. And so I spent my time talking about the business, Unify, et cetera, et cetera. And it was easy once grounded in that energy to just explode. And, 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 and that's the point. You believe in something, you invest in that thing, and then you just project to all the people around you and draw people in so that eventually it's not about what you're doing. It's about how what you're doing uh, could be impactful and benefit them and to get them to join that journey if it's relevant for them. That's kind of, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that you did, you, you drew us all in and it's just, you serenade us with your passion and it's just a delight <laughs> thing to you and I, I don't want to stop. So please do keep talking. And I think it, it's a really good lesson for entrepreneurs. Uh, just this morning, we were talking about the importance of storytelling and that passion and entrepreneurship. And you can own that. Whereas if you talk about facts and figures, they're not your facts, they're not your figures. They're pretty generic. Most people can get them, but they can't get your story and your passion. So that's, that is an interesting point. And please forgive me if I'm going off piste. Um, actually, you can, you can uh, uh, take, use your, your conviction, your passion to actually reframe the world in a way that's relevant to what you're trying to do. So, and what I'm trying to stress here is that, is that I've had conversations with people where, uh, they're struggling to uh, have the quantification, in the numeric quantification of something that they believe they need to do. And, but for me, it's, it's usually very, very simple. It's about trying to find a proxy for what it is you're trying to do. So you can always, by analogy, find a way of getting data. And then, if you like, making some assumptions and then personalizing that data in a way where it's, it's, both credible, it's insightful, but but it's derived from you. So what I'm saying is that there is a way of 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 of, of uh, managing numbers, right? Without uh, 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 leading people astray, without being disingenuous, but you can create numbers and rules of thumbs, orders of magnitudes, right? Which really does add weight to what you're saying, because actually, in the end, one of the challenges and perhaps we'll talk about this later, is that if you're engaging with in, in, in investors, you really need to put them in, a, in a, a, a feeling where you not only have this, this uh, direction, this passion, but it's anchored in a way that they can actually grab hold of. And, and, and numbers are that, but it, but it doesn't have to be a stranger to you. It can be something that you've created a model for, right? you can back it up by referring to other things. You know, for example, if you take, uh, if you decide that you want to do something uh, uh, that's going to uh, be uh, leveraging mobile phones, okay? It's generally accepted that there's data associated with the number of mobile phones that are produced annually and or are owned. Right. You can then uh, uh, do some judgments about what proportion of that right market could be relevant for your application. So, so, so what I'm saying is, you start off with something that is generally accepted as being large, 
you have a view of the kind of personas that would benefit from your uh, uh, um, your offering, and you find a path from that big, abstracted, distant figure to something that's meaningful to you. Now, that's also part of going on a journey, as you were saying, storytelling. But you've started with something which is a generally accepted point of view. By the way, you may even deliberately contradict that point of view, but you start off with something that puts people on the same page, and then you go on that journey. So, so numbers, I, I know that you didn't mean to the contrary, numbers are really important, and there's a way of personalizing it and owning it so that it, it presents what you're offering in a, in a powerful light. Yeah, that, that's hugely valuable. Personalizing yeah. the numbers, and I love that concept of anchoring your story yeah. and your passion. So it's not just hot air, as you say. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. And sticking on the passion theme, uh, and this is what I really wanted to get out of today, if we could just get this one thing clear. When I came to you, you've gone on this corporate journey, and now you, you're you know firmly in the realms of being a full-time entrepreneur. Uh, and chair and uh, and father and many other good things but I really <laughs> a lot of people have said if you want to be an entrepreneur go out and go make mistakes for 10 years do some hard time go work in a corporate spend other people's money and then when you're ready then you can switch into being an entrepreneur what are your thoughts on that yeah so uh, yeah I, I I find that one a really challenging one so so I'll I'll, I'll put it this way it really does come back to why you're an entrepreneur, why you want to be one. It's, 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 it's actually, because that, that got, and, and what it is you're trying, what it is you believe you want to do. Because there are things you might decide you want to do in terms of kind of, you know, products that you may want or services you want to provide that don't necessarily need that amount of uh, apprenticeship okay uh, um there, there are probably other skills that you need to have along the journey that require uh, uh, uh that apprenticeship uh my, my feeling is is that you start with what is it is it that's driving you is it that you just want to be your own boss it can be as simple as that for some people i just want to be my own boss but there are many ways of being your own boss uh, um and and it also it comes down to uh what sort of technologies and expertise need to be brought to bear to achieve your vision? I mean, why was it I spent over two decades in a, in, in a corporate environment? Well, first of all, I was having lots of fun. <laughs> I was in a company where, you know, it had, a, it had, by the way, a very strong entrepreneurial culture. There was this mindset about allowing people to have ideas and then translate those ideas into something physical. The, the, the other advantage very often of being in a large company is that back to you know, spending other people's money, uh, um, you, you, you have access to, to resources to actually make those things happen. Um, actually, in my case, the reason why I ended up by leaving the corporate sphere was because I didn't see myself as heading up a large corporation. Um, and I actually missed not having my hands implied in stuff. Because in fact, uh, uh, 
one of the, the lovely things about being in a smaller company is the opportunity to be involved in a wide range of things, okay? So back to answering your, your, your question, you first of all, in order to determine the amount of apprenticeship you're going to do, you have to decide why is it you want to be an entrepreneur, okay? Uh, and the possible answers, including uh, uh, being your own boss, is that you have a belief in making something happen. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, and then the question is, what needs to be in place to realize that dream? Do you have, is it something that's just going to require you developing a certain set of skills? Is it going to require capital investment? What, what is it going to take? Are there learnings you need to have that you couldn't possibly have unless you had XYZ experience? So you can actually build this map for your development based on that. But that all implies that we're all about this long-term thing. And I remember once um, I, I watched uh, a YouTube about uh, uh, some uh, Australian gentleman who was being given a, uh, uh, a, a doctorate, an honorary doctorate. And he was talking about, you know, uh, the, the stuff about dreams and all the rest of it. And one thing he said that really resonated with me was, you don't really need to oblige people to think in terms of this long-term stuff, okay? I have this conviction that you start where you are. It's enough to ask yourself, what am I interested in today? What is it that gets me really excited, infused, energized? Because that's probably, as long as it's socially acceptable, that's probably the basis for channeling your, your energies. You don't need to think about, you know, where you need to end up in 20, 30 years time. You just need to think about, you know, what is it that makes getting up in the morning worthwhile? That's probably as good as it gets for a lot of people. And unfortunately, most people aren't even doing that, yeah? And so I had an idea at one stage, and this is part of my arcing from corporate to uh, of being in smaller entities and being more entrepreneurial. I did a consideration in the, uh, the late noughties, where I worked out, unfortunately, I was only enjoying 30% of my day. And so I just said to myself, when I did that uh, 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 calculation, I'm going to move to 50%, 75%, 85%, etc. That's going to be my priority. So that was a decision I took in uh, about 2008, 2009. And then uh, every successive role I took was about really increasing the amount of fun I was having. Uh, that's what it was about. And I don't mean this in a flippant way. I mean that, you know, there's another thing that you need to answer to yourself, which is ask yourself, which is, and I think it's a good data point. It's not the only one, but it's, if you weren't being paid, would you be doing what you're doing? Uh, and um, I can answer that today in the sense that there could be things uh, that I could be doing with my capabilities, which are three, five, 10x the income 
that I'm earning at the moment. So I can say with confidence that what I'm doing is much more about what I'm enjoying and how I feel I'm making a meaningful impact than, you know, the alternative of doing something because of the money. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with earning money. I'm just saying, isn't it nice to actually enjoy what you're doing as well? That, that's kind of, that's kind of what, what I think drives. So it's, it's not about um, the, the number of years. It really is about what it is you're trying to bring to life and what it takes to do that. And then organizing yourself. Some people are in companies for years and, 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 and they have an idea when they're in a company and then they step off. You know, some people never join a corporation. Yeah. And uh, they make mistakes along the way. And why not? Sorry, Alex, I, I've gone on too far. No, that's great. I mean, so much in there. I love that statement. You know, start where you are. So liberating as opposed to trying to dream up this magical life that you might have later. Um, and I mean, by the way, have the dreams. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. but, but, but start where you are. Don't, 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 don't act as if the, the way to get there is to be in something else. You, you, you actually can do much of the transformation in whatever role you're in at the moment. It's just a different attitude, a different behavior. Don't be lazy. <laughs> and that, that's something I've implemented since our initial discussion just under a month ago. Be, you know, get that 30% up to 50 to 70 in your present role, rather than looking for a silver bullet in my next role, I'm going to have better work-life balance. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to enjoy myself. No, you have to do it now because it's you who goes along to that next job. So don't look for someone else. to. And, 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 you, and you attract all the things that you want because you're applying yourself to that now. It doesn't happen by parking it and sort of, doing something completely different during the day, that's not gonna get you there. Excellent. And, and pressing you on that question as, you know, do you have to be an entrepreneur straight away or do you have to go into a corporate? I think the true acid test here is, what advice do you give to your kids, Jim? Ah, so for, for me, for, for, <laughs> that's an interesting one. So, so uh, I've had my challenges recently. Uh, uh, you know, my, my boy, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just decided to uh, leave the job that he was in. Um, I, I managed my state because he left the job without uh, necessarily having another one uh, uh, to go for. Um, so that was a real test. Honestly, we had the conversation. I, I listened. I parked, uh, you know, any sort of bouncing around in my head, even though, because it, what it came down to in the end is that I, I believe in, in my son. Okay, as I believe in my daughter. So for me, the only thing I've emphasized to them at all times is as long as you focus on something that you're interested in and invest and apply yourself to the best of your ability, I think that's most of the journey. That's most of the work. You see, the thing that's contradictory is how can someone say that they're um, bored, right? If they're doing something that they're profoundly interested in. And if they're profoundly interested in that, how can they be lazy? How can you be really interested in something and not put in the effort? 
So I, I perfectly understand someone, you know, not being motivated to do a variety of things. But at a certain point, if you've decided, I'm doing this because I'm really interested, then you need to do the work to become as proficient in that as possible. And that's all I ask of anyone, really. I actually, for me, you know, when I'm working with people, it, you know, I'm always trying to understand whether what they're doing is something they, they really want to do or is just something that they've just kind of fallen into. Because it's really important to get to the point where that person is, is pumped because they actually really want to do what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I think that brings it full circle on passion and entrepreneurship. Why do you need to be passionate? Because you're coming up against the likes of yourself, Jim, who is so passionate and will work harder and faster and better yes. than anyone else. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's back to that fuel again. I mean, you know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, um, it's exponential. I mean, you, you, you literally can just uh, go into the stratosphere just purely on this, this, this energy, which then feeds into you investing in your skills, which then feeds into being more proficient. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's hard. I mean, sometimes, you know, um, uh, I think I've learned, for example, more about using PowerPoint in the past two years <laughs> than, than I did in, in, in the previous decade or so. Uh, uh, it's just an example of sometimes, you know, to get from one point to the other. Uh, 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 there are things that you may have parked because you're prioritizing other things. But at a certain point, you just got to get on and do it. And the point I'm making is, is that I don't profess to be uh, an expert in, uh, regarding that tool. But it's an example of the investments that you're prepared to make. And it, it, it ceases to be something that's frustrating because you've got a clear view of where you want to get to. And you said, I need to do this to get there. And, and uh, even to the stupidity of spending parts of my weekend just going on YouTube and studying different bits and pieces just so that I have more capability. But it's easy to do, you understand, when you, when it, when you basically got an idea of where you want to get to and how that could be, uh, um, uh, you know, what makes it possible for you to get there sooner and better, yeah? And by the way, the, the most powerful thing about that kind of way of approaching thing is, back to a, a phrase, a, a word you used before, it's infectious, yeah? Because what actually happens is, is that as you invest, as you uh, learn by teaching, as people see that around you, then that's reciprocating. Other people are doing it around you. And you've got a community of people who are just, you know, motivated to invest in learning. I'm absolutely convinced, not because there's more information available, but because my attitude about towards learning has changed, that I, I'm amassing more insight and understanding and knowledge now than I ever have done at a much higher rate. And I, there was something I worried about when I was younger. <laughs> Maybe I, I can't remember, because, but, but I actually think my memory, right, in general, for the things that I'm focused on is much better than it ever has been. Of course, I'm the, not the one to judge. <laughs> but the point I'm making is, is that there were things I used to worry about, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain uh, intellectual capacities and all the rest of it, uh, you know, that, that fall by the wayside because of that, that fuel of passion.
that fuel of passion allows you to keep, you know, putting down foundations, building on the foundations, putting down more foundations, building and building and building. It's just extraordinary, really. Uh, you know, I think I can hold my own against most people in terms of the capacity to relect, recollect the things that are relevant to what I've decided is my domain of interest. Uh, um, but I think it's it must be the same for anyone who is uh, preoccupied, passionate uh, about what they're doing. Yeah. You've set the gold standard and I don't know about the listeners out there, but I'm going to favorite this episode and go back and listen to it. If ever I need a bit of a pep talk and focus on the right things, I'm going to come to you, Jim. So thanks for sharing and, and being so candid. We have to talk about CAC now, uh, cost of customer acquisition. Um, tell us about how growing an ecosystem helps keep the cost of acquiring customers down, getting other people to do your bidding for you, as I would call it. Yeah, so, so I'll give a, a, a case study uh, very, very quickly. And, and it, it's an experience that, that, I, that I had. And I think it's, it's still kind of relevant because I see it being revisited uh, uh, nowadays in, in, in artificial intelligence, okay? So um, at, at one stage, um, and this is part of the IoT story, uh, I, I was, uh, I had an opportunity to build a, a business, uh, a microcontroller business, and I had as, as levers, uh about 10 different start points in terms of products um it, it, the terminology that's used in the, in the industry is instruction set architectures but for the purpose of, of our discussion there were 10 different ways of actually of from which i could choose a couple in order to build this business the fundamental thing that was the issue for me was in the end but this is, came as a result of listening. This was not an insight. This was listening. This is, this is a theme we'll come back to later, I hope. Was that I realized that actually for these products to really realize their potential, I needed to get developers to actually want to develop their products on the components that we were providing. And, and so that then came down to how do you do that? You know, what, um, what, what, what are the tools that, that they need to have? How much does it cost for those tools? How do you put them in a position where they have visibility of those tools? <laughs> because even if they're cheap as chips, you know, if they don't have visibility of them, if there's no promotion around them, how do they get access to them? Now, that what was interesting in that, period in, in, in the history of the company that I was in was that with these 10 or more different start points, right, some of which, by the way, or at least one or two of which was things I'd intimately been involved in in a past life, right, the, 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 the expected wisdom of the time was that, well, we just basically plumb for this one and then, you know, budget for you know, the development of the tools, budget for the advertising, you know. But when I started also looking at the competition, because this is another important part, 
I saw where they were, but I asked the question, how did they get there? And what was interesting was, was that I, I came to the conclusion that we could not spend either the time or the money to be where they are from where we were. Um, so then what I started looking at was how to co-opt or be part of something that might already exist or more significantly had the potential to flourish. Because sometimes when you think about where you want to end up, what you have around you, right, um, is just green shoots potentially at best, nothing in place. But that's also back down to the, the leadership thing, okay? Because in fact, the other part of this story will be, you know, being able to have a belief about something and then invest today to make that happen. So ultimately what I did was, I, the, the overriding decision about which approach to take, which start point to go from, was fundamentally which required the least investment from an ecosystem point of view. So now we're back to where, uh, where you and I are on the same place. So it is a judgment that you have to take about what is the extent to which that ecosystem is going to flourish? How much of your investment does it need to fuel that or to help that to, to flourish? Ideally, little or nothing, okay, except for uh, uh, the resourcing uh, of your organization. Yeah, you don't, you don't really want to have an additional sizable team in order to build this stuff. What you really want to do is to, to know that if you focus on your core differentiation, yeah, the ecosystem will address the rest, okay? There are challenges with that way of doing things because going back to the green shoots, if you're developing an offering uh, that can easily fit into an already established ecosystem. For example, uh, you're developing a, a, a game uh, that's going to run on a, a phone and you can tap into, you know, either Google or Apple's stores, yeah? That's an ecosystem of, it, of itself and, well, hey, off you go. But if you decide, for example, that the app that you're developing is for something like, um, you know, uh, a lifestyle offering, you know, maybe it's some sort of new exerciser that you're going to use, then, and for example, you don't, you're just doing the software, but there is one or more uh, um, uh, exercises that are in the market, then you have to have a strategy to build a relationship with those players. So in addition, in addition to having something that's established in terms of the store, you actually need to build uh, you know, technology and strategic partnerships with other people in that ecosystem in order to bring it to life. And, and 
you need to understand the leverage that you've got. So that then comes down to the disruption and differentiation of your offering. You're more likely to influence and have more of a driving role in how that ecosystem uh, 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 develops if you're bringing something very significant, not just from your point of view, but it is understood to be by others. But if you're really just, to a certain extent, peripheral, right, uh, then you have to place a bet that, um, uh, uh, that that ecosystem will be there. You can just count on it being there and you can focus on marketing your offering knowing full well that you've got the backup of this ecosystem around you. So it's about understanding where you are in the value chain. It's about understanding whether you're actually disrupting the value chain. It's about you know, having a view of the trajectory of the ecosystem that you need to have support you and to understand uh, uh, what is missing in that ecosystem that you need to have in place. Because there's, depending on what you're doing, you know, it may not all be there. You may have to start cultivating partnerships and relationships in order to make it there. I'm sorry for this broad answer, but, but, it, but it, 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 is, it is complexified by the fact that it really depends on what product and service you're trying to, uh, 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 you know, bring to the market. No, well said. But, but, but it's really important, uh, uh, if you like, to find that path, which is the most cost effective, but also, and this is also another point, is convincing. Because there's no point in saying, I'm going to take a punt in the fact that this is going to be available in support of my technology in the future, if you can't find anyone else to buy into that. Uh, as another example, uh, today in the world, uh, uh, there are a number of competing uh, computer architectures, okay? Uh, um, the most preeminent one, the most ubiquitous one in the world today is based on ARM uh, 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 in Cambridge. Um, there, there's Intel that's always been, been there. Uh, uh, and then you've got uh, a open source uh, offering, which is RISC-V. Now, um, the RISC-V community have done a, a really good job in building an ecosystem, and there's more to do. Um, but I've watched in the distance that journey. Depending on where you were when you decided that you wanted to offer something that was leveraging that ecosystem, there was more or less credibility about whether that was a smart thing to do. So the other critical point is about not just about your vision, but the timing of, of what you say about how you're going to be successful. You, 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 know, you may be right uh, about your view that this is the ecosystem to be a part of, but if it's 10 years away and, uh, and you've got a investment thesis that requires you to go to market in three years, there's a gap problem. <laughs> yeah. No, excellent. I mean, 
I love the way you've come at it from a, a macro perspective. And I think there's increasing appreciation for you can't just innovate you in your product in isolation. You've got to innovate in terms of your route to market and understand where you fit into the larger ecosystem. And you've really yeah. given us all of the context as to why that's important. And importantly, you've lived through through it and you've seen what works and what doesn't. So yeah, I've, I've certainly learned a lot from that. Now, uh, this is also a really important point and something that you really embody. And the reason I started this, um, we're moving on to part three of okay. the podcast. And um, I started this podcast because I wanted to get alignment between entrepreneurs and investors. Yes. And I've got the third, you know, most important element, and it was part of it, but I think it should be a key pillar. And that's the customers. And that's certainly what you believe that success certainly all comes down to focusing on your customers. Now, tell us about your story on that, why it's important and why it leads to success. Yeah. So um, like the discussion about passion, um, I, I believe that, that uh, it's, it's not easy to fake whether you really uh, care about someone or some institution or whatever. Um, and I also had the advantage of working in a company that during my formative years that had a particular view about customers. So when I was in that company, ST Microelectronics, um, I would say that that company is one of the few, if not the only company that I worked in that I didn't have overall responsibility for, that really cherished customers. That's not to say that there weren't a variety of issues that they, they had to face with customers. But when I spoke to customers, consistently their feedback was they believed ST cared for the most part, yeah? They may be less inclined to think that when they're having a hissy fit about something, but, it, but, but they really cared. And, and I tried to understand what was going on. And if I look at it from within the company at the time, they had this model of where everyone that you were interacting with right, was a customer. Even your colleagues internally was a customer, right? Everyone was considered from that deferential point of view, okay? Once again, humans are humans. It doesn't always work that way. But it was a significant part of the ethos, which also had other consequences. Unlike one or two other companies I joined afterwards, no one would actually speak in a derogatory way about the customer. So there's this reverence, this, this respect for the customer, not, not to the point of, uh, of basically not challenging the customer or not helping the customer to, to see that perhaps their way of approaching something could be done in a better way. Part of that relationship thing is actually being very forthright about these things, but to have the respect and to appreciate the fact that you're actually not in a position to take care of your family, pay your mortgage, do anything if it isn't for the customer. 
Okay. So, so it's about really believing, building in this culture of respect, because actually, if you're not thinking that way, then you're actually basically saying that you have contempt for what is fundamental to your existence. And I think that is problematic from, for, for many reasons. But there's another dynamic that, um, that I didn't think clearly through, but I would say that your question has, has, has piqued me to think about. Whenever you're talking to investors, trying to encourage them to invest, you always hear this concept of product market fit. It's, it's always there all the time, yeah? Well, it's not just a, a free letter, you know, uh, you know, a free word acronym. It's, it, 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 it's there for a reason. I mean, you don't exist unless, you know, there are people who want to buy your products or services. And so even from that point of view, it's fundamental to be able to get the feedback and the advocacy, the championing from your, your customers or potential customers about what you're offering and actually to use their unwillingness to do that as a call to action. I mean, if they're not prepared to do that, what is it that's not quite right about your offering? Yeah, what is it you could do better? So it's that relationship between the company and the customer, which I think for the company to flourish and to have long-term relationships means that the customer needs to feel that you are highly respectful and appreciative of them. And it's how that dynamic and that relationship plays into your ability to uh, um, uh, convince investors that you have something that is valuably differentiated. And not, not forgetting the fact that from time to time, the investor might even say, well, is it okay if I have a chat with the customer? Just listen to what they say, yeah? And how's it going to be if <laughs> the customer right, ends up with a, a less than charitable way of describing you? And once again, you can decide to do this because you know, it's part of the ABC of doing business, or you could decide to do it because much more fundamentally, you are appreciative of the fact that you exist and flourish, right? Based on the, the value that you bring to your customer base. And you're taking that seriously. You don't have to compl uh, complexify it. You just need to be straight, yeah? And that's really uh, uh, what I think is so important. The investors, by the way, right? Uh, need to have the confidence that you're taking that seriously. The customers need to feel that too. By the way, as the entrepreneur, you are there's a triangle, but you really are the person that is required to make sure that both those entities right are on board. Yeah. Yeah, really well said, and and that's certainly the way that you run your business now, right? You've said it served you so well in the past, and People talk about being customer centric, but very few actually are. Yeah. And once again, you know, uh, uh, 
I admit to being only human. I, 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 I need to do a better job of, uh, of being coherent, you know, doing what I say I'm going to do. This is, this is the, the challenge of all entrepreneurs. I mean, you know, uh, we can all beat our chest and speak to that. But, but the reality of it is we're always doing priority calls at one time or the other. Um, but you, you never stop trying to get better at those things because getting better at those things are what's going to make the difference to your business, I think. And certainly when you are a small business trying to grow. Actually, I hope throughout the life of your business, I think if you stop respecting your customer, I just think that you are, uh, I think you're in the wrong business. You're, you're in the wrong game. I, I think you should be doing something else. Because the other thing that I strongly believe is that either consciously or unconsciously, people feel whether you really care or whether you don't. And that's another part that a lot of people just completely miss. You know, some people may not be able to give a, a, a name or a phrase to why it is something is off, but something's just off. Okay. But when they know that deep, deep down, you actually really care, you genuinely care, it's manifesting your actions, but it's manifest about everything that you're doing with them. Then I think that a customer is more likely to stick with you. And this was manifest with one of the companies I worked in. It was fascinating. When I took over the microcontroller business at one stage, what was interesting about that, and this was played out when I was in Frontier Silicon and, uh, and other companies, at various stages, customers would be transparent. They'd say, your offering isn't the best. So why did the customer stay? And it was because of the relationship and because were you convincing about making sure that you would improve the offering to put them in the position where their faith was justified, they would stay for the journey. And that was the commitment I took with the various customers. We'll improve, we'll get better. So this was played out, whether it was arm, imagination, frontier, you know, ST, it didn't matter which the company was, right? It was a journey. Yeah. You just, you just made better efforts over a period of time. You put in processes, you, you uh, uh, took on board, you know, their points of views. You told them transparently the parts that you would address, the parts that you wouldn't, and when you might address them. But you did all those things because, you know, there was never the doubt between you, right? That you kind of needed each other in order to truly flourish. And I, I, think that, I, I think that people are cynical about that stuff, but there's no reason to be cynical. You know, it, it's, it's something that you just need to invest and believe in. And you don't have to have a particular faith to, to, to take that point of view. It's about, you know, not being disrespectful about other people's money. Now, it's, it's fundamental of that. That's true of investors, how you behave with them is true of how you behave with customers. And it's true of how you behave with employees as well. Insofar as employees, and that's the other dynamic I, I, I should have spoken about, the employees for a period of time have invested in your business. 
Wow. I mean, you know, that's a lot, isn't it? They could be doing anything with their lives and they're working with you. I mean, really, what an honor that is, especially when you think about yes, the, the, the dynamics of an entrepreneur, because it's not necessarily the thing that's, uh, you know, paying a lot at any one time. Yeah. But they're with you. That's also a big responsibility as well. That's such good advice, Jim. Thank you. And uh, we could talk, as I said at the beginning, we could talk for days about everything. We're going to have to unfortunately draw the session to a close, but we'd love to have you back. And I'm sure the listeners would echo that. Uh, before we go, I'm going to do a, a quick summary of what we've discussed uh, just to really reinforce it. So number one, passion is the fuel for innovation. It can't be faked. Um, it's the fundamental ingredient. In addition, passion needs to be anchored with numbers and, and, and there needs to be some substance behind it, otherwise it's hot air. And then one of the really best bits of advice from Jim is start where you are. Stop looking for another job to make you happier. Be happy right now. Make those changes right now. Um, and then you and, and, and as Jim said, try increase your level of fun. Well, that's Jim's story. I like it. It resonates with <laughs> done it so there he is in the flesh uh number two on the ecosystem just that the ecosystem reduces your cost of acquisition understand where you fit in don't just focus on isolation on your product uh, look at the bigger picture and then as we've just said on customers that your customers need to feel appreciated and you cannot fake it it is imperative to the success of your business to fundraising and it all comes full circle so Thanks again, Jim. I really appreciate you sharing your time with us and all your wisdom. It's been a real pleasure as always. Thank you very much, Alex. This has been an honor for me. Very much appreciated. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Keep tuning in for more exclusive content on how to succeed as an entrepreneur. Make sure that you follow the Tippy Top on all social channels, including Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, or now Meta, Insta, YouTube, with at the Tippy Top blog, and check out my website, thetippytop.com. And you can also find me, Alexander Lee, on LinkedIn. Until next time, keep pushing, and I'll see you at the Tippy Top. Cheers.